Welcome to a special 2018 North American Summit edition of What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, recorded at our podcast parlor in Boston, you'll hear Reagan Donahue and Bruce Simino discuss emotional intelligence and artificial intelligence in the workplace. We are so excited to be here tonight with Bruce Simino, founder of Simino Consulting, but also one of the original workplace strategists over the last two decades. And if you want to kind of give a little intro to your background in that. Well, thank you, Ms. Donahue. Yeah, uh, background as an architect and later going into workplace strategy and working with companies all over the globe in change management and workplace strategy. So I'm super excited to have you here because I feel like you know, there's been such a change with companies and how, you know, the focus has shifted now truly back to the employees. Because at the end of the day, you know, when it came down to just focusing on things like cost and, you know, getting things done back in the Peter Drucker knowledge age, um, now it's kind of turned into more of the innovation age. And I feel like there's kind of like a new wave coming through in this business transformation. What do you think? I think so too. I think what's happening is the human side is coming out and that companies are realizing you cannot uh, be efficient in everything you do. You have to start to look at how people feel about things and, and this thing called happiness has come up for a lot of companies. How do we make our employees happy? And one of the things that um, we've learned is that emotional intelligence, especially in leaders, it's really powerful and important for the success, success of an organization. If, if leaders uh, just can actually uh, use their emotional intelligence to help their employees feel good about the organization and help them understand where they're going and help them build trust in what they're doing. Some companies will be much more successful. So that's interesting because, you know, I feel like there's been such a time where corporations have focused on shrink, 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 make it smaller, make it smaller. And it was sort of like, you know, if, if we look at what's changed, you know, I always think of it in piles, right? It was originally the transformation, there was piles of manure back in the day. And this transformation came that they created cars and they saved the world, if you will, from walking in nine feet of piles of manure. And then all of a sudden we had piles of paper and this computer transformation came and it sort of saved us from being lost in the piles and piles of paper. And now I feel like we have piles of data and there's so much information that we've collected through computation and that we've created that, you know, what are we going to do with these piles of data? I feel like this is where artificial intelligence is playing such a huge role. But the problem that I'm seeing is, you know, if the machines are doing all the work, what's the human purpose? And, and if the machines are doing all the work, what's happening to the human workers? And, and what, what the research tells us is that 50% of all jobs as we know it today are going to be disappearing within the next 10 years. Jobs like drivers and cashiers and people who stock the shelves and warehouses and things like that are, are going to go away. What's going to happen, though, is there'll be new jobs created, like data, data team managers and um, ethical insurers of, of how people react with one another and things that, things that we never had before. And so the companies that understand this and, and get on board with it sooner than later are going to be more successful. Oh, so, 
I mean, essentially it sounds like, you know, to kind of discover the human purpose in our future in the next 10, 20 years, we need to focus on what makes us more human. Absolutely. I mean, it kind of feels like, you know, if you take a step back, you know, when I think about, you know, humans in our history, you know, we have become the superior species through our ability to use social learning and innovation, right? So we've taught each other over, you know, different years how to do something and then the next group does it better and they innovate that and they keep doing it better and better. And so it's almost like, you know, what do you do now when you're this human and there's this machine that can learn at the speed of a Harvard MBA with 800 years of experience, 24 seven en energy, what do you do? Exactly. And so, so the thing for the human side to do is to play on the strength of why they're human. So one of the things a machine doesn't have is empathy. And another thing that machines don't have, they don't have this, this opportunity to be as creative and evasive about how they do things as the humans do. And so it's, it's really interesting. It'll be interesting to see how you can play, marry the strengths of the computers with the strengths of the people. Because actually machines are more accurate and they're faster and they're more dependable. And so if you marry those two together, you have a great complement of, of how work can be done in the future in a better way. So can you think of an example of when it makes more sense for a human to be in charge versus a machine? Yeah, um, one of the things that's a conundrum for the autonomous car industry is who do we protect? If, if we're going to protect someone, is it going to be the driver of the car or is it going to be the pedestrian that might be hit by the car? Uh, there's a, a great ethical uh, question that needs to be solved in order to solve that. So yeah, I, it's funny, I actually um, was reading about that in the Stanford Magazine, their Stanford you know, Institute of Cars, and how you know, essentially the last 10% and the reason why cars haven't completely taken over uh, the driverless autonomous vehicle world is how do you decide how to program that car? Like how, who writes the algorithm for if there's a pedestrian walking and the car might potentially hit it, does the car potentially hit the pedestrian or save the passenger? Yeah. And I think what we've learned is that the, the human emotion can make a decision faster than any machine or any rational human part of the brain. The emotions have been have been actually developing for millions of years, and they actually have a history of, of ways to do things that we don't even know that exist. But they, it's kind of a natural, into, you call it intuition, if nothing else. And so people that have used their gut are using their intuition, and they're using their emotions to make the decision about things. It's funny you mentioned that. I was, I'm thinking about that movie I saw called Sully. Oh yeah, I love Tom it. Hanks movie, that was so good. Um, and it was crazy because, you know, he's on trial and they're trying to figure out why he landed the plane in the Hudson River. And they went through all these computer simulations and basically said, well, we don't understand because every time the computer ran the simulation, you know, it would have sent it back to the airport. It would have sent it over here for fuel. It would have changed it and it would have saved the day. And the best part, I think, if anyone's never seen the movie, spoiler alert, um, Sully calls out you know, the people in the room and says, have you ever had a human do the simulation? And they hadn't. And it was fascinating because as soon as they had human beings 
doing the simulation, all of a sudden the decisions changed. And every single time that the human beings are having to make this decision, it was, yeah, what Sully did was perfect. Landing in the river, he saved the day. And he was drawing from decades of his experience and his knowledge of, you know, how to save the day. And so I feel like, you know, there has to be other examples too, you know, maybe like in the sports world, maybe in, you know, TV or I don't know. Well, if you if you actually followed football at all, now we're in Boston, we can talk about the New England Patriots. Oh, and, good uh, one. <laughs> the, and, and why was Tom Brady so successful? I don't know if you know this, but... Because he's married to Giselle, No, obviously. no, no, no. He was a six in the... Because he's so good looking. Don't tell my husband. <laughs> oh, he was in a six-round draft pick. He was... He was uh, a, uh, classified as scrawny and lanky and oh. not not supposedly well built for uh, <laughs> an athlete, but one thing he possessed that they they cued into was that he had this uh, incredible, uh, uh, great decision making process, which he knew how to use his emotions to actually he get he would get the ball, get back in the pocket, and he would start to scan the field, and and he had to make decisions that had no time to think about and it was kind of like he was feeling his emotion so even though he was a six-round draft pick and and the, the six that were in front of him um, actually all together uh, actually started less games and threw less passes and did less less scoring than Tom Brady did all on his own oh wow I think I remember that I that's kind of a crazy thought that you know he was the, wasn't he like the 200th pick or something? 199th. Oh my goodness, wow. So it makes me think about like, what makes that unique? And you know, I'm such a, like, I love to binge watch TV shows on Netflix, obviously, and The Walking Dead just recently came up on my list of things to watch. And what is that, Walking Dead? I know. <laughs> you've been living in a tunnel. You haven't heard of it, apparently. But if it's about zombies, I don't watch it. <laughs> it's about the zombie apocalypse. I've been researching it a lot lately because I have two kids and I keep getting all the viruses. <laughs> so I feel like I'm going to survive at the end. And yeah. so once I survive, I need to figure out how to continue and thrive. And yeah. you know, it makes me think about like if you think about man at, at his core and engaging his emotions to make you know critical decisions, um, it almost goes back to more like survival mode, right? And you know, how did they survive in the show? It was through like, you know, disgust. They see the, the zombie, they're disgusted by it. They, go, they run away. It's anger or fear, which, you know, engages your inner adrenal glands for the fight or flight mechanisms. And so, you know, there's a lot of great fight scenes in there. But then the part that I think people take for granted, and I think this is the part that truly makes us human, is the joy and the sadness emotions that are core to us, that it's what brings us together and what connects us and the joys of friendships and love and the sadness of loss. And I think that these are things that, the machines will never feel and they'll never, I mean, maybe one day, you know, like if artificial general intelligence, which is the true future comes about, you know, you know, maybe, but right now, I think that's what makes us unique. And I think at its core, you know, we need to kind of understand that this is where a lot of leaders that are truly successful. I mean, I think you'd mentioned one earlier that um, had written a book about this, but you know, if they're truly successful, they're going on their basic emotional instincts to make their critical decisions. Jack, Jack Welch was one of those, and he wrote From the Gut. And, oh, yes. That. And, and his description of that was, it's more about intuition than about how he felt about things and how he made it happen. You know, if, and if we think about intuition and feelings and emotions, you know, we, they're so elusive. If, if you think about the money that is spent on psychoanalysis every year, we're trying to figure out what are emotions and what are feelings and how do you, how do you manage them? 
and and it's it's something that that will probably keep us questioning for many years to come. You know, it's funny. It makes me think about like if I'm having a bad day, I kind of feel like the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> the uncontrollable emotions that take over you and you know you get this strength that you don't even know but like I guess at the end of the day he even had someone who could soothe him and you know so the reality is I think you know we need to ask the question of you know we talk about this emotional intelligence and group emotional intelligence is truly you know the differentiator and what makes us successful and you know to kind of bring that together you know can you think of an example of you know when that was, you know, a great time for someone to engage that to be different and, you know. Well, there was a, a situation where uh, a computer had been designed to beat the number one Go player in Asia. Oh, AlphaGo. AlphaGo. Yep. It was, AlphaGo was created by Google. And they wanted, there, there's this game that's been around for, for like hundreds of thousands of years. It's the oldest board game known to man. And, Millions of people in Asia play this game, and this guy is like a national hero, this champion. He's this, and he's just brilliant at the game, and no one has ever been able to beat him. And so they designed this computer, and they played five games, and he was very nervous and distraught about the first three games and, and lost three times in a row to the computer. Much to his dismay, he felt like he'd let down the entire country. But then he kind of woke up the next day, and he had a kind of a different fighter kind of an attitude and he let his, so emotions, his emotions changed his emotions changed and he played a little differently in fact he made a move that no one in the world could have it came out of it came out of left field it was a one in a ten thousand move and he won the fourth game and it made all the difference in the world and so yeah the, the machines are going to get better and better and that's why we have to figure out how to use our emotions and harness them and make them work for us oh wow one in ten thousand move huh i mean that's you know, it's interesting because it's like, again, drawing from his experiences and his, you know, timeline. And I actually read somewhere that people who engage their emotions and use their emotional intelligence to their advantage make on average 29,000 more per year. Exactly. I mean, if that's not motivation for me, I don't know, that's a couple purses that I could be buying extra. Um, so I think, you know, really what we've kind of discovered is the moral of the story and, you know, engaging our emotional intelligence to focus on what makes us uniquely human. And as you mentioned, some of these new jobs that are coming out are truly more focused on, you know, working with the computers, it sounds like. You know, I've heard that the, there's the jobs that are trainers, um, explainers, and sustainers. And so essentially, you know, it's sort of like this cognitive collaboration between man and machine. And, you know, to pull on another Marvel example, since I went down the Hulk path, you know, I think about Iron Man. You know, he's sort of like one of the best Marvel characters, one of the strongest, because it's a man inside of a machine. And he can have the physical and data strength to analyze the scenario and handle things, but at the same time, he makes those critical emotional decisions in every scenario. And, you know, I just think that's fascinating because there's actually another character on that called Jarvis, which is computer that came to life. And, you know, Jarvis should be the superior being. It's a computer-simulated artificial intelligence, um, but he doesn't do as well. And I think that that's a great example, you know. And I think that's what we might call augmented intelligence, where if you can combine man and machine and have them work together, you're going to have the, the best of both worlds. And I think that's where we... 
So We're going with this. Yeah, I mean, and I think really the, the moral of the story is we don't want to get stuck in a pile of poo and sit around and wait for things to get better. We want to yeah. think about, you know, embracing new technologies and new innovations because bringing on the car really saved us from a true tragedy. You know, bringing on the computers really saved us from, you know, drowning in papers for the rest of our life. And so I think in this world, you know, although data is something that's more of a software-based thing, you know, there's so much opportunity I feel like we would miss out on as humans and our ability to thrive to the next level, our ability to, I mean, my goodness, there's a Netflix show out called The Mars Generation. There are literally people growing up in this world who are looking to go to Mars one day. That's crazy, you know, that could be my kids. And to think that like back in the day it was a big deal to end up, you know, on the moon. And now here we are looking at Mars. Or at, I mean, it's, you know, this is a different world we're living in. And so I think the, the moral of the story I'm feeling, and I think that you're on the same page, is embracing technology and embracing working with it hand in hand, man plus machine and cognitive collaboration and, you know, to change our world for the better and to take advantage of this. I totally agree. So. This has been a great time. Thanks for hanging out with me hey, today at CNG TV. Thank you. What's that? This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.